You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. verses there, and we're going to be looking at this morning, beginning at verse 6, we're going to read verses 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's bow together as we pray. Our Father, we do come to you now with the expectation and request that you will honor your word. There is nothing that we can say to you that is as important as what you have said for us. We thank you that you have spoken, that you have spoken in a book, and that we can read it, that we can hear your voice in the pages of Scripture. And we ask now that as we look at this, that you would be here in your spirit and in power to minister to our hearts, to encourage us, to convict us. And Father, may we bow before you today and see you do a work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, by God's good providence, we happen to be in a passage that deals with the subject of Thanksgiving, and this coming week, of course, is Thanksgiving. Notice how we always credit God's providence when something good works out like that, but not necessarily if I were in a Christmas passage and it would be Thanksgiving time, then of course it's because I've made a train wreck out of all of my planning. But by God's good providence, we're in a passage, in fact, the last part of verse 6 that has to do with the subject of Thanksgiving, uh, particularly praying with Thanksgiving. And this week is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. And here's why. On Thanksgiving, you go hunting. Then you come home and you eat a meal with your family. Then you watch football. And then the day after Thanksgiving, you are able to save a lot of money at my favorite stores, Radio Shack, Home Depot, Sears, and Staples. Now, I apologize to any of you who might work for any competitors of those four favorites that I just listed. So you have killing something, eating something, watching football, and saving money, which is a holiday that's just custom designed for me. All of those things are good. And if you can get a cat involved in either the killing or the eating, <laughs> then all the better. Then it's a really good holiday. But Thanksgiving is also one of my favorite holidays because, and, and this occurred to me this last week, and I've never thought of this before. Thanksgiving is the only holiday on our calendar that, that by definition, by nature of the very holiday itself and the name, we are actually encouraged to fulfill a biblical command. You ever thought of that? There's, now, we can fulfill biblical commands on other holidays, Christmas, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, we worship God and we honor the Lord before His birth or for the resurrection but Thanksgiving is the only holiday on our whole calendar that actually encourages us to have a, a spirit and a posture of 
humility and gratefulness and to obey a biblical command. And I always wonder, how does an atheist celebrate Thanksgiving? I suppose the same way they celebrate Christmas. They just get into the Christmas spirit and get into the Yuletide fever, whatever that means. But how does an athe- what is an atheist thankful for? And to whom is an atheist thankful? Atheists thank- celebrate Thanksgiving and they say, well, we're just thankful. Just be thankful this part time of the year. Well, what is thankfulness? Is it an emotion? Is thankfulness just something that is a good human character quality that we should have? And I always wonder when I hear somebody who doesn't believe in God and doesn't know Christ and doesn't trust Christ saying that they're going to be thankful or that we should be thankful, I always ask myself, to whom are you thankful? Unless there is a benevolent giver in heaven who gives to all men every good thing, and those gifts and that goodness should lead us to repentance, and that gift and that goodness comes from a person then what is exactly thanksgiving? What is the point of being thankful or having a thankful attitude if you don't have somebody to whom to give thanks and something for which to be thankful? Is it just an emotion? And to whom do you give thanks? Well, as a Christian, of course, I understand and, and recognize that I've been given so much. So much. I've been given every spiritual blessing and all of the good things that come to me each and every day that I enjoy life on this planet, and the hope of life afterwards in a new heavens and a new earth, all of those things cause me to give thankfulness and to be thankful. And then I realize that thankfulness is not something we should just have on one day of the year, but it's something that should mark or characterize a Christian every day of the year because we have so much to be thankful for. So we're dealing with the subject of thankfulness, and particularly thankfulness attached to prayer In Philippians chapter 4, last week we looked at do not be anxious. We didn't get very far into our verses because I just described to you the curse of anxiety. Remember that? We didn't get far into it because I wanted to, first of all, get you to hate worry and anxiousness the same way that I do and get us to see it for what it is, this deadly insidious evil that threatens us. It is a. We saw that it is a sin. We also saw that it is something that is really foolish when we do it because all of my worrying in the world cannot add an hour to my lifespan. All of my worrying in the world cannot put food on my table. All of the worrying in the world cannot adjust or help one small thing in all of my life. So it's really it's an insidious evil. It twists our perception of God. It twists our perception of reality and truth. We saw that the anxiousness or the worry that we're talking about is not the genuine concern that we have for one another's well-being. How are you doing? And I'm concerned that you're ill or that you have a problem or that you have a need. That's not the type of worry that we're talking about. By worry and by anxiousness in Philippians 4, we saw that the Apostle Paul is not talking about the attention that we give to the daily concerns of our life, trying to make dinner or trying to keep the house clean or trying to provide for the needs of our family. And he's not talking about apathy. And he's not saying you should just have a, hey, whatever, toward anything and everything that happens and not give any care or concern to anything. That's not what Paul's talking about. What is Paul talking about? By anxiousness, the Apostle Paul is describing... That vexing, harassing care and anxiety that we give to things over which we have absolutely no control whatsoever. Paul was describing that attitude of the heart that tries to wrest the office of providence from God and take it to ourselves when it doesn't belong to us. That's the type of anxiety that Paul is talking about. And he says in Philippians 4 verse 6, be anxious for what? Some things few things, be anxious for nothing, but in everything 
by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So last week we looked at the curse of anxiety, what it is, what it causes it. This week we're looking at the cure for anxiety. Now, I'm tempted to say I could jump into maybe many of your heads and you're probably thinking to yourself, this sounds like a very trite cure for anxiety. Hey, just pray about it. Well, that's all it was. If it was just, hey, pray about it, that would be a very trite cure. Paul's prescription is this. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. You say, is it really that simple? That sounds too simple. Well, it really, it is simple, but it's also a little bit more complex than it make, than I make it sound at first. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. I want you to, that to be ringing in your minds before we leave here today. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. So we're going to see that this type of prayer that Paul describes, which is the cure for anxiety, has three characteristics. Number one, it's comprehensive prayer. You pray about everything. Second, it is a contented prayer. We pray with thanksgiving. And third, it is a confident prayer. We let our requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So three qualities. And no, it's not going to take us three weeks to get through that. We're going to get through all three of those today. We're not going to be done till two, but we will get through all three of those today before we leave here. So let's look first of all at the comprehensiveness of this prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Now, I ask you this. Does, when Paul says everything, does he mean everything? Does he mean everything? Somebody say yes. All right. There are thousands of churches all over this country and this country alone who have thousands of different ministries and thousands of different prayer concerns. Should we pray about all of those things? Are we obligated to pray about every unsaved person in the world who needs to hear the gospel and name them by name? Are we obligated to pray about that? With all of the concerns, and they're all worthy of concerns, we could probably get 50 or 60 very valid, very worthy things to pray about just here within the walls of our own congregation. And then add to that 50 or 60 things that really cause us anxiety that we should pray about. So do we take those hundred things and then add to them the other hundred by the church across the street, and the other hundred from the church up north, and the other hundred for the church out west? When Paul says everything, does he mean every single prayer concern ever to be prayed about by every individual in every church and ministry in every country on the face of this planet? No, he doesn't. That's not even feasible, is it? So what does Paul mean by everything? You know what he means by everything? Everything that is a concern to you is to be a matter of prayer. Everything that causes you anxiety is to be a matter of prayer. That's his point. Now, does that mean that you can't pray about things that don't worry you? That's not what Paul's saying. But he is saying everything that would cause anxiety in you should be a cause of prayer. So that if your cares are many, your prayers will be many. Does that make sense? So if I have something to be concerned about, to worry about, or to be anxious over, that ought to be for me an indication I need to pray about that thing. So in everything that should cause me or that does cause me anxiety, it should prompt in me prayer. So that every care becomes fodder for prayer. That's the idea behind in everything. You know, the reality is that we pray about things that we never worry about and we worry about things we never pray for. You realize that? We pray about things that don't worry us at all, and we worry about things that we never think to go to the Lord in prayer about. Lord, be with Bob's, Aunt May's, niece's husband, who's the dog catcher who got bit 
And let him be able to return to work quickly. And may his hand heal so he doesn't miss the church softball game this Sunday. And uh, may it be healed so he's able to return to serving communion soon. You kidding me? Did I just knock a leg off of that? We pray about stuff like that? Now, I'm sure for Bob or Aunt May or the niece or the husband, those things concern us. But we pray about things like that that don't worry us whatsoever. And then we stand up and we get the churning in our gut over our finances and the political situation and who's winning election and who's in the polls and what's going on at church and this concern and that unsaved relative and the health of so-and-so and the safety of such-and-such. And we never think for a moment to give any prayer to that. But then when we do pray, what do we pray about? Lord, be with Aunt May's uncles. La, 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 la. Are you kidding me? When Paul says you pray about everything, I think what he's saying is, look, those things which are causes of anxiety to you, which cause your stomach to churn, which distract your faith and your trust from God where it should be, those ought to be items of which you are praying. And you are praying regularly and you are praying fervently for those things. And when he says everything, he's reminding us also, listen, if something is of a concern to you, it is a concern to God. Don't ever think to yourself, well, I do worry about such and such and so and so, but I don't want to bother the Lord with this. No, Peter says you cast all your cares on the Lord, for He cares for you. His concern is for you. And if you're concerned about it, then God is concerned about it. And so in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't pray for Aunt May's dogs, catchers, niece, whatever that thing is. It doesn't mean you can't pray for that. But friends, don't neglect the things that cause you anxiety. And in everything that causes you anxiety, you take it to the Lord in prayer. Was this what Paul did? I think this is what Paul did. You, you might think to yourself, as, as I'm tempted to do, this is a lot easier said than done. It is something that can be done. It is something, by the way, that requires a discipline of the mind. Isn't it? Our natural inclination, our natural instinct is to not pray about the things that worry us. Our natural inclination and instinct is to think that we do more good by worrying about something than we do by praying about something. And it's just the opposite. Instead of praying about the things that don't worry us and worrying about the things we never pray for, we ought to pray for all things, but especially those things that worry us and make the things that worry us the items on our prayer list. When I first got married, we were... Um, to say that we were poor would be, <laughs> wasn't even, we were below poor. We looked up to the day we could be considered poor. And uh, I used to, in my prayer journal, I used to have um, a list of all of the things that I prayed for. And every month I prayed for the rent, the money to make the rent. And I, I would write that down at the beginning of every month. Lord, I pray for next month's rent. And I made that an item of prayer several times a week, as well as food and a lot of other concerns that were concerning me at the time. And I remember being able to go back month after month after month and I could flip back through my prayer journal. I could see all of the months where I saw God faithfully provide for me and all of my needs. Man, what an encouragement that was. Isn't that encouraging? But now that I have a regular income, you know how often I pray about, Lord, please provide next month's rent? Never comes up anymore. Does I say that I'm not trusting the Lord to provide for next month's rent? No, I, I certainly am. I know that if it wasn't by His grace, I wouldn't be able to make it, but that doesn't concern me anymore. There are other things that are more pressing than my rent payment now. Those are the things that I pray for. 
And you know what? When I keep track of the things that God has done and the ways that God has moved and the things that He has answered and the ways that He has provided, it encourages me to trust Him more in the things that cause me anxiety or worry. I told you last week, I can easily worry. Worry is easy for me. I'm a high-strung... One of my children said to me, Dad, I didn't know you were high-strung. After last week's sermon, I said, do you know what high-strung means? No. So I described what high-strung is. She said, yeah, you are high-strung. So I am very high-strung, and I can worry very easily. Worry is very easy for me. I can worry about things just for the sake. I can worry about worrying about things. But when I go back and I look at how God has provided and what God has done and how God is faithful, it kind of alleviates all the anxiety. You pray about everything. It is comprehensive. If it causes you anxiety, if it causes you worry then it becomes a matter of prayer. And that's what Paul's saying. All the energy and the efforts that you're focusing on worrying, you transfer that to make those the items of your prayer list. You're committing them to the Lord. It's comprehensive prayer. Now, Paul did this. Paul had reason to worry about the Colossian church. They were threatened by Gnostic heresies. But he didn't worry about the Colossians. Instead, he says, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. He had cause to worry about the Thessalonian Christians. He had left that church after only a few weeks in Thessalonica, run out of there by persecutors. Remember, they dragged Jason out in the streets and beat him and they ran Paul off. Then they chased him to Berea and they chased him out of Berea. And when Paul finally got to another city, he sat down and he wrote 1 Thessalonians. Instead of worrying about the health and the safety of the Christians in Thessalonica, Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. He had cause to worry about Timothy, who, while Paul was in prison, Timothy's life was in danger just for being associated with the Apostle Paul. But Paul didn't worry about Timothy. Instead, he writes to Timothy and says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Did he have cause to worry about the Philippians? Sure he did. Philippians chapter 1, we find out they were suffering the same affliction that Paul was suffering, that of persecution for the faith. And yet at the beginning of Philippians, Paul says in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always mentioning you in my prayers with joy in my every prayer for you all. No hint of worry in the epistles. Yet he had every cause to worry, but he didn't. Instead, you know what he did? He just said, I'm praying for you guys. And once you have prayed and once you have given it to the Lord, Paul was able to say, I don't worry about these things. They don't cause me anxiety. In fact, Paul is able to say, I worry about nothing. I pray about everything. It's comprehensive prayer that is the cure for worry. It's all of those things that cause you anxiety. Second, it is contented prayer. That's what Paul means when he says, with thanksgiving. I choose the word contented for two reasons. First, because contentment or contentedness really sums up the whole idea of what being able to pray with thanksgiving is all about. It's contented or contentedness. The second reason I choose the word content is because it starts with a C. And every once in a while, I like to alliterate my outline just to remind myself that I can do it. And today was one of those days. It is contented prayer, not only comprehensive prayer, praying about everything, but there is a posture of the heart with which we are to pray. We are to pray with thanksgiving. Now, listen. There are three words there that the Apostle Paul heaps up that all speak of prayer. Do you notice them? With prayer, that's the first one. And supplication, that's the second one. With thanksgiving, let your request. That's the third one. It's like the Apostle Paul is just using every synonym in the dictionary for prayer that he can think of. With prayer, and that's just a general word used in the New Testament, used in the Old Testament, Septuagint, that speaks of the the posture of speaking to God or interceding or standing in the gap for something. 
Then there's the word supplication. It's a little bit of a different word. It has a different flavor to it. The word supplication has the sense of praying for something out of a deep need. Like you need a rent payment. Like you need a mortgage payment. Like you need to have your car paid for. Like you need your daily food. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. I need this, Lord. It's not a matter of want. It's not that I need a big screen TV. It's not that I need a bigger house. I don't need a bigger car. It's not my wants. It's my needs. My daily sustenance. And that's what supplication is. Lord, here are the things that are my needs. That's supplication. Let your requests... And those refer to the items that we pray about. Not so much the act of praying itself, but those things that we pray for. Let them be known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. Now, there is a heart attitude in which our prayers, our supplications, and our requests are to all be flavored. And what is that heart attitude? It's that of thanksgiving. Thankfulness. I am thankful and I am grateful for my need. And I am thankful and I am grateful for my illness. And I'm thankful and I'm grateful for my lack of supply in this area. Can you do that? Can you be thankful for the fact that you have something that you really have to pray about? It's with thanksgiving. It's not just... And listen, prayer is not just asking for things. We talk about prayer and I wish we had more time to spend on this because this is worth... More sermons than I'm going to give, more time than I'm going to give to it this morning. But prayer is not just a litany of asking for things. All the words that Paul uses here, prayer, supplication, requests, have to do with asking God for things. And that's legitimate because it's in the context of worry. And usually it is some deep need or, or some deep thing in which we have to pray for God to do something or give us something that causes worry. So in the context, it's understandable that Paul would be describing things we ask for. But listen, prayer is more than going to God as if He is a cosmic bellhop who is there to wait on your every need. Or as if He is a divine vending machine and we type in the number that we want or we say the right formula or utter the right prayer and cha-ching, it comes out. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. Sometimes God says yes, I'll do it, but I'm not going to do it now because that wouldn't be good for you. Can you thank God for what He doesn't supply to you? You ever done that? Lord, thank you that I didn't get that inheritance. Yeah. My grandparents were, on my dad's side, were wealthy. And when they died, in fact, when my grandmother was sick and my father was sick at the same time, um, my sister and myself, we would talk about, well, if, if uh, grandma dies before dad dies, we're never going to see a dime of that money. If, but if grandma dies if dad dies, forget it. This is what it boiled down to. I didn't get a single dime of inheritance from my father's side of the family. Not one red cent. That's what it boils down to. I didn't get any of that. I thank God that He didn't provide that for me. It's legitimate to thank God for the things that He withholds from us. Do you know that God withholds a lot of things for us that we want and that if we got them would just cause our utter destruction and demise? Do you understand that? I've never given a car to any of my children. Why is that? It's not good for them at this point. My opinion, it'll never be good for me to give a car to any of my children. I'm never going to do that. Why? I'm going to withhold that from them so that they can work for it, so that they can earn it, so that they can get it themselves. And right now, it's not right for me to give a car to my children. I withhold a lot of things from my children that I would love to give to my children if I had the means to give it. Or I may even have the means to give it, but I don't give it to them. Why? For their good. 
I can thank God for what He withholds from me. In all things, I thank Him. I thank Him that He hasn't made me rich. He's made me much richer than some. Most of the world's population. But I don't enjoy the type of wealth that others enjoy. But I can thank God for that. I'm thankful that I don't. I don't enjoy the the benefits of having the skills that other people have. But I'm thankful to God that I don't have what the skills that other people have. Some skills I wouldn't want to have. Can you thank God that you don't enjoy the health that other people enjoy? Or the pain-free existence that other people enjoy? Can you thank God for that? Friends, there is power and there is cure in the attitude of the heart. We're not talking about just, hey, pray about it. Make it an item of prayer. Mention it to God. But it is that posture of the heart which bows before the Lord and says, Lord, I am contented with what you have given to me. As Paul's going to say later on in Philippians chapter 4, I have learned in all things to be content. I can thank you for what you have provided. I can thank you for what you have not provided. I can thank you for what you have given. I can thank you for what you have withheld. So what does this look like when we pray? If I'm worried about finances, I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, I thank you that I have this lack. I thank you that I have this need. And I thank you that until now you have withheld this from me because this has brought me before you. It is a cause of anxiety. And so I thank you that you're going to teach me something through this. I thank you that you're going to work through this. I thank you even that you have promised to provide for all of my needs. Not my wants, but my needs. And you have promised to sustain me and to provide for me. And Lord, I believe you're going to do it. I thank you that you're going to do it. And I thank you in Jesus' name that I have the privilege of coming into your presence. And Lord, whatever it is that you choose to do to dispose of me, a creature, I will thank you for it and I will be contented with it. That's praying with thanksgiving. And if you lack health, or you're sick, or you're ill, or you're terminally ill, then you go to the Lord with thanksgiving and say, Lord, I thank You that I have this illness. I thank You that You're bigger than this illness. I thank You that I live in an age of technology in which cures for illnesses like this, which were never thought of 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 years ago, they're now capable of doing that. And I thank You that You have promised to provide for everything that I need. And if this is the illness that You will choose to use to bring me into Your presence, I thank You for the hope of heaven. I thank You for the forgiveness of sins. I thank You that I do not fear any condemnation in Christ. And I thank You that You have promised to provide for all of those who will be left behind when I'm gone. That's thankfulness. And see, when you start to thank God with a humble, contented posture of gratefulness and thankfulness to Him, then all of a sudden the worry starts to dissipate, doesn't it? Because then you realize, hey, my God is powerful. My God is in control. My God has given this to me. And I'm going to bring my heart into a position. And once my heart is brought into the position of being contented, then I have nothing to worry about. It's when I'm discontented that I worry. You understand that? It's when I am not content with God and His provision, His power, or His providence, that's when I worry. But when I bring myself into a position of contentedness, and it's the attitude of thankfulness that does that, then all of a sudden the worry dissipates. So what's the cure for worry? Well, it's prayer that prays about everything that we worry about. Second, it is prayer that is a contented prayer. It is a thankful prayer. And third, it is a confident prayer. And this I get from the words, let your requests be made known to God. Remember back up in verse 5? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. And that's what Paul is reminding us. Remember who it is that you're presenting your request to. You let your request be made known to God. 
Understanding that he is not miserly and he's not an ogre and he enjoys giving and giving liberally and generously to his children. He enjoys triumphing over our needs and over our dilemmas and over our anxieties. God is good in all of those ways. He is not stingy when his children come to him. He's, he's not up there looking for an excuse to say no. What he wants to see is a thankful heart. Now, there's no promise in the text that he's going to answer the request. We'll deal with that next week. There's no promise that our requests are going to be answered. But the cure for anxiety, listen, is not in having our requests answered. The cure for anxiety is making our requests known with a spirit of thanksgiving. That's the cure. Whether God answers my prayer or not rests in His providence and in His grace and in His eternal plan. But the cure is not seeing the answer. The cure to anxiety is making the request with a heart of thanksgiving. And when I come to the Lord, when I make my request known to God, I'm coming to one who sits enthroned in heaven, whose arm is not too short to save, who is gracious and giving and loving and kind and merciful and compassionate and has promised to provide for all of my needs and has done all of this in Christ. He gives more than I can ever imagine. He withholds everything for my good. He gives everything that is for my good. He is wise in the bestowment of all of His gifts. That is the one to whom I come. And so when I come to God, I'm coming to the throne of grace with unfettered access. Stepping into the throne room of heaven, seen because of the righteousness of Christ as being righteous in His sight, God looks down at us as His children and He says, what, what do you want? I can pray with confidence, boldly before the throne of grace, Hebrews said. Now what does Paul mean when he says, let your request be made known to God? Doesn't God already know? Doesn't God already know that? Doesn't He know every word before it's on my tongue? Psalm 139 says. Doesn't He know every thought I have before I have it? Is it as if Paul is saying, look, you let your request be made known to God because you need to inform Him of what your needs are. And if you don't inform God as to what your needs are, you can't possibly expect Him to answer them. Is that what Paul's saying? We don't go to God as, as if we're to inform Him of what we need. The Lord doesn't wake up and hear our prayers and say, oh, my child, I had no idea you needed that. Had no idea you were in that circumstance. Had no idea that you were in that perplexity. Here, let me do something. Let me see if I can do something to help you out. No, by letting our request be made known to God, Paul is not suggesting that we inform God as to what we need. But rather, listen, that in His providence and in His grace, God is pleased to use our prayers to accomplish His ends and to bring our hearts into conformity with what He is going to do so that when we see Him move, we see Him answer our prayers. And it's not that we're moving the heart of God, it's that God is moving our hearts through prayer to bring them into conformity with His will so that when He answers those prayer requests, they're pleasing in His sight and we see that and we are encouraged and our faith is strengthened and we see the hand of God move in our affairs. That's what it is. Not that we're informing God of what He needs to do. He knows what He needs to do. But we're bringing our hearts into conformity with what He's going to do, what He wants to do, and asking that His will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And when you do that with an attitude of thanksgiving, then the worry dissipates. That's what confident prayer is. I bring my heart and I conform it to the Word and to the character of God, to His will, and then He is pleased to act and to move. Not because he didn't know what was going on before, but because he wanted, wants me to get in line with what he is doing. So it is comprehensive prayer. 
It is contented prayer and it is confident prayer. We come to the Lord. Lord, I know that you don't need to know what I'm going through. You know my need before I even ask it. But I want you to know that this is worrying me. This is perplexing me. This is causing me tremendous anxiety. I can't shake this. But all of the effort that I have been putting into worrying, I'm now going to put into prayer. And I'm going to do so with thanksgiving. And Lord, I'm just going to spend the next however long it takes to thank you for everything you have given to me that I do not deserve. When we are thankful before the Lord, it glorifies Him. It changes my heart to offer thanksgiving. Do you understand that? It changes your heart to be thankful. When you just start listing the things that you can be thankful for, all of a sudden you realize, I don't deserve any of this. I've been given all of this as a gift. And this is what I have to be thankful for. You're never thankful for things you deserve. You don't walk into your boss's office when he hands you a check and say, thank you so much. You're such a kind boss. Thank you for that generous gift. You don't do that. Why? Because you've earned the money. You don't thank your boss like that because you deserve what you have worked for. And so it is with God. The minute you begin to thank Him for everything that He gives, all of a sudden you realize, I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve breath. I don't deserve a beating heart. I don't deserve any blessing that I have ever been given. And yet He has showered all of these upon me. And I will thank Him for them. And what that does is it moves the heart out of anxiety right back under the sphere of where God wants it, to that contented place. So be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. And in everything, with prayer and supplication, and this is the key, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and that's when the peace of God, which guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus beyond all comprehension. And we'll look at verse 7 next week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your graciousness to us. And we do want to bend our hearts before You and to thank You that You are the King of Heaven. And You are the giver of every good gift. And we deserve nothing. We deserve actually Your wrath. And yet You have bestowed upon us grace. And Lord, we thank You that You are that King. And You are a generous God and a gracious God. And Father, we pray that You would give to us the grace in the coming weeks to make every piece of anxiety and every cause of worry a cause for prayer. And that we might bring them before You. And that we might be grateful for what You have done. And then we will see that You are able to cure us. And that you are able to protect us and to guard us, our hearts and our minds. It's that that we desire in order that we might honor you and glorify you and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.